I want to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I would like to read our sermon text today. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, the living word, your written word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and speaking to us through your word. And I pray now that you would enable me by your spirit to say what your word says And I pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would enable all of us to understand and to receive your word. Thank you for the way that you'll work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have just come through the primary elections here in Wisconsin, and we know that the midterm elections are right around the corner. Um, In fact, um, I look forward to the opportunity that I'll have um, to vote in those midterm elections right after we return from our trip to Romania. Um, I am thankful that we have the opportunity to vote here in this country. Your vote counts. And my hunch is that most of you will vote because you care about what's going on in our country and with our government. Um, Most of you may even be concerned about what is going on in our government today, and so you cast your vote. Um, I would argue that's important. And there are undoubtedly many ways, good, good ways, other good ways to be involved in politics today as well. But today... I, I hope to convince you of two priorities that can help you have the greatest impact on our country and on the world today. Now, if you remember the Apostle Paul in the letter to 1 Timothy, writes to young Timothy, urging him to fight the good fight of faith, to wage the good warfare. Uh, The church there in Ephesus was facing false teachers, they were facing disorder, In their worship, they had unqualified leaders, materialism, and and more. And Paul instructs Timothy to stay in Ephesus to help the church develop sound ministry. And 
as we look at our sermon text for this morning, I believe that there will be given here two clear priorities for how to minister in a world that is broken. Um, We would all agree that we live in a troubled and broken world. And, and, And yes, Paul and Timothy lived in a troubled and broken world as well. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, contain a list of sins that describe the time in which Paul wrote. And it Sounds a lot like our, day to, our, our time today, our, our, where, where we now live. It speaks of the lawless and the disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, the unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. And if that's not enough, Paul says... In chapter 1, verse 13, that at one time I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. (laughs) But, thankfully, verse 15 says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So, there is great hope. Now, with that context in mind, we come to chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. And in an attempt to answer the question, how should a believer minister in a troubled world, we see two clear priorities in these verses. And the first thing that I think we see is that you must make prayer a priority. Uh, You will remember from chapter 1, verse 3, that Paul urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus so that he could, could command certain men to not teach false doctrine. And apparently one of the more troubling areas of concern was a mishandling of the law of Moses. Paul began with the need to make sure a correct view of the law was taught. That is, the law revealed sin. The law reveals our need for a Savior. And it also reveals the righteous one who came to save. But there would be many other things that Timothy needed to address as well. And this letter contains encouragements and exhortations for Timothy to teach and practice so that the church would be filled with good fruit in in accord with sound doctrine and or the the gospel. And in verse 1, Paul puts prayer at the top of the list. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So when the church gathered together, prayer had to be one of its top priorities. Uh, if, If prayer is a priority in the church ministry, there are two things that ought to take place. One, uh, you, you ought to be in a regular habit of prayer. Um, There are at least seven different Greek words for prayer in the New Testament. Four of them are used here in verse 1. The ESV translate them as supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Um, Supplication is given when we recognize our need, we seek God, we ask God, we cry out to God. Uh, Prayer is the most general term, and it's used most often in the New Testament. Um, This prayer is the language of us being in utter dependence 
upon God and, and our, expresses our trust in God. Uh, intercession focuses on our seeking uh, the presence and hearing of God on behalf of others. Um, it, it really is an expression of love for others when we pray for their needs. And then finally, giving of thanks is something that we must do, in fact, all of the time. Uh, we're not just thankful for something. We are thankful to God for Him and for all things. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, when you think about your Heavenly Father and all that He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and all that the indwelling Spirit does in us and through us for our good and for the good of others and for the glory of His name, it's fitting for us to give thanks to God. Uh, certainly when we have mountaintop experiences in life, we, we want to give thanks to God. But even... Even in the deep valleys of life, we can give thanks to God for His powerful, comforting, faithful presence in us. So do you, let me ask you this morning, do you see prayer as a great privilege, really an undeserved privilege, to boldly enter the presence of God? The true and living God who created all that is and who sustains the universe hears you when you pray. We commune with God in prayer. How, how is that possible? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says that we have confidence to enter into the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Jesus shed blood, atoned for our sins, and opened the way for us to approach our holy God and live. It's amazing. It, in prayer, we can and must give thanksgiving to God. We, in prayer, express our understanding that we live in utter dependence upon God, and we bring the needs of others before Him. And and so you, you and I know from just day-to-day -day living that when there is a great need, we, we love to hear someone say to us, I, I, I know someone who can help. Um, but think about that when it comes to prayer. We, we have a God who is unlike any other. We, we have a God who desires to bless His people so that we can reflect his awesome glory in this dark world. We know someone who can help. Seek the presence of God and the hearing of God for communion with Him, for your own needs, and also on behalf of others in need. Verse, verse 1 gives us different words to speak of our conversation with God, and we're able, certainly, to make some distinctions in those four different words that are used, but I think the real reason for Paul mentioning these four different words for prayer is to really highlight 
how our prayer life ought to have richness and depth and comprehensiveness. So, in other words, shallow and rote prayers should not be the norm. Uh, we, we are a needy people, and it is a great privilege to call upon the name of God. So, giving thanks, making requests, interceding for others and the like ought to be a rich part of our spiritual discipline as a believer and as a church. So we, we must make prayer a ministry. That, that is, we must be in the habit of meaningful prayer. And certainly here at Grace Hill, uh, we want to do that throughout our worship service. Uh, we want to do that in what we call our congregational prayer, where we pray for you, but also on Wednesday night, our goal is to have a service, a time where we can come together and about half of our time is spent opening up God's Word, having a Bible study, but then half of that time is breaking into smaller groups and praying together for um, the church, for this community, for the world. Um, and so we do that on Wednesday nights from 6.30 to 7.30, and if you're not in the habit of being a part of that, I... I really encourage you to come and, and make that a part of your week where you're able to come and we fellowship, we study God's word, but we, we pray together. We spend more time in prayer together during that service than any other. So be in the habit of prayer, but secondly, you must be in prayer for all types of people. Um, the end of verse one tells us that prayer should be made for all people. And then in verse 2, Paul explains more clearly what he means. He says this in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high position. So the, the scope of our prayer life is not just for ourselves. It's not just for our family. It's not just for church members. It's for all people, even kings and all who are in authority over us. Now, I would argue this is very important for us to understand today. Often we as Christians are concerned about what's going on in our government. And unfortunately, there's a lot of corruption in our government. And too often there are wicked and foolish laws that are in place. And certainly we know how our lives can be impacted by presidents and governors and judges and school board members, et cetera, et cetera. Not just personally, but as, as a church and as a society. We, we have watched as many of our religious freedoms are being stripped away. Often we're concerned. And so the question is, what is the best way for believers to respond? What can we do about governing authorities who are not functioning in righteous ways? Is political activism the best way to make an impact? Certainly, I think there are many things that you can do. Uh, in our country, we are afforded many ways to be involved. But I think that the argument, there, there's, I want to make the argument that here in 1 Timothy 2, we learn that the way to have the greatest impact on governing authorities is to pray. Now, if you disagree with me on that, I would argue that you don't have a high enough view of prayer. Um, th think about this. In, in Romans chapter 13, verses 1, through th one, 1 and 2, we, we learn this. Let every person be subject 
to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So human government and governing authorities are part of God's design to provide structure in civilization. Civil authorities are God-appointed, ultimately. And we know that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to King Jesus. Jesus is Lord of Lords. Jesus is Lord over all civil authorities. And they will give an account to Jesus for how they function as a civil authority. But ultimately, I think we must recognize that all civil authorities will accomplish the purpose of King Jesus. And so that's why we should pray for governing authorities. God appointed them. Jesus has authority over them. And when we pray, we're talking to the one who has all authority over them, which includes the president, the government, and every other civil authority. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Do, do you remember the account of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was probably the most powerful civil authority on the earth at that time. But his heart became full of pride, and God knew it. In fact, God humbled him in a clear and dramatic way for the whole world to see. And he stayed humbled until Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged, as verse 24 of chapter 4 in Daniel says, until he acknowledged that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then later in chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 34 and 35, we're told, by Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? <laughs> I love that story of Nebuchadnezzar. This past Wednesday, we studied Acts 12, which tells us the account of when Herod uh, grew proud in his heart. He was giving a speech, and the people there cried out, a voice of God and not that of a man. And when he heard those words, his heart was puffed up with pride. And the text says at that very moment, the Lord struck him down, and his body was eaten by worms, and he breathed his last. So I'm sorry, that's kind of gruesome. Um, it's graphic, but it communicate, communicates clearly. The, the point is important for us to understand that God gave Herod authority to rule as king, but when he became proud, he took the glory that only God deserves, and God 
held him accountable immediately. Now, God doesn't always bring justice immediately, but be assured of this. God will always bring about justice in his time. But, but the account of Herod helps us to know that God sees and God cares about the thoughts and motives and behaviors of civil authorities. And so, we, we have the privilege and the responsibility to pray for civil authorities. And I would argue that there's nothing more influential. We, in prayer, you have the ear of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In prayer, you, you have the ear of the One who has authority to put kings in power and to take kings out of power. In prayer, you're talking to the One who can direct the heart of a king wherever He sees fit. So don't minimize the place of prayer for governing authorities. I'm not saying that's the only thing we do, but I'm saying don't minimize the place and the power of praying for governing authorities. God is able to move the hearts of powerful kings. So we must make prayer a priority, but we, we must also be in the habit of prayer, and we must be in prayer for all types of people. But why? Well, we're told why. It's so that you can live godly lives in peace. Listen to how the end of verse 2 says it, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So if civil authorities are functioning as God would want, the church should be able to function as the church without any hindrance from the government. The, the church should lead peaceful and quiet lives, not, not looking for ways to stir up trouble, but committed to following Christ. And, and we should be godly, dignified in every way. Our, our lives should reflect the character of Christ for the praise of God's glory. We, we should then live in that man, ma manner with all seriousness, and civil authorities should welcome that. Verse 3 says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now, if the government is wicked and stands opposed to the church, and certainly we know that because of sin being in the world, we should not be surprised by this. But if that happens, as believers, we trust God, uh, we, we pray and we respond with the enablement of the Holy Spirit in doing good, and in that we follow the, the, the pattern and the example of Christ. First Peter chapter 2 is a key chapter that teaches us that if we suffer, we should suffer for doing good, not evil. That, that is how Jesus responded to being mistreated by governing authorities. He entrusted his life into the hands of his Father and continued to do good. That's the example that we are commanded to follow. But make no mistake about it, God will hold human government accountable. They are his servants for good. Um, li listen to what their role uh, is according to 1 Peter 2.14. And I quote, Governors are sent by him, by Christ, to punish those who do evil, 
and to praise those who do good. And God's the one that defines evil and good. So that's, that is government's role. And, and they will give an account to God for how they rule. Um, God will bring about justice. But we must pray, and we must pray for all types of people so that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So, make prayer a priority. Um, the second priority of ministry in a troubled word, world is this. Given in verses 4 through 7, you must make the gospel a priority. Verse 4 says that we pray even for earthly kings because God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, the Spirit of God empowered us empowers us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, Acts 1.8. Christ has commissioned us as a church to go and make disciples, to baptize, and to teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded. Uh, we, we lack no resources to be faithful in bearing witness to the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Uh, we are Christ ambassadors here on this earth. We've We've been commissioned, we've been empowered to be faithful and diligent in the task of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does a troubled world who has lost its way need to hear from the church, from, from you? They, they need to hear loud and clear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, um, Obviously, we don't have to look very far to see that American culture has lost its way. Uh, morally, this country is bankrupt. And, and I want you to know that this country is morally bankrupt because they were spiritually bankrupt first. So, so listen to me carefully. Moral issues are important to God, but if we focus on moral issues to the exclusion of the gospel we will be devoting our energy and presenting well-adjusted sinners to the gates of hell. We must not be content to see people develop moral lives while at the same time living under the judgment and condemnation of God because of unbelief. So we must make the gospel a priority. Only the gospel has the power to really change a person's life. Only the gospel can produce good fruit in the lives of people for his glory. Now, we read in verse 4 that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I think the point of this passage here is that our scope of ministry is, in fact, for all people, all types of people. So, who God elects for salvation is known only to God. Our focus of ministry is all people. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your nationality, your ethnicity, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a person in a high position or low position, um, in obedience to Jesus Christ and with concern for God's marvelous name, we ought to be passionate and compassionate in proclaiming the good news of Jesus to all people, people in all places. So, how should believers 
respond to a troubled world. We must make prayer a priority, make the gospel a priority. We must proclaim the gospel to all types of people. And here's why. And, and I want to leave you with this thought this morning. Jesus Christ is God's solution for a troubled world. Verses 5 through 7 say, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There, there are not many gods. There is one God, the creator and sustainer of all things. And equally important, there is one way to God. There, there are not many different ways to God. And what is that way? It is through the man Christ Jesus, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I would argue this here is a beautiful, succinct statement of the gospel. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This is the testimony given revealed for all to hear. In fact, Paul says, for this I was appointed a preacher. Um, that is, a herald who, who, who announces good news. I was appointed an apostle. Jesus gave him authority to speak this good news for all to hear. And he says, I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul, Paul certainly understood what it was like to be mistreated by people in high places. Paul, Paul himself experienced an enormous amount of suffering, unjust suffering for the sake of Jesus. But, but he also understood that what the world needed more than anything else was in fact Jesus Christ. Paul was given the authority and the, and the mission to herald the good news of Jesus to all people, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles too, those in high positions and those who are in low positions. Paul understood and believed with all of his heart that Jesus Christ is God's solution to a troubled world. So in light of that, in light of that, I want to really ask you two questions this morning. One, will you make prayer a priority? Uh, will you make prayer a, a priority? Uh, you know, we work through texts like this, and it's easy for us to hear it, say, yep, that is true, that is meaningful, that is good. But we, we, the Spirit wants more than that. The Spirit wants us to believe it, to receive it, and to really be changed by that. So if we make prayer a priority, that means we individually need to be people who are diligent in praying for all types of people. Our prayer life needs to be comprehensive. Our, our prayer needs to be regular. We need to be in the habit of constantly depending upon God, uh, giving thanks to God, blessing His name, communing with Him, taking our needs before Him, praying for other people, praying for all people. Um, prayer is hard work. You know, it, you would think prayer ought to be just 
something that we do just so easily and so naturally in an abundant way, yet we know that we are utterly dependent upon God. We need Him. We enjoy Him. We commune. You, you would think that as we recognize all of those glorious truths, we would just easily be people who fall into the habit of having meaningful prayer for all types of people. But I would argue that prayer really for a believer is a discipline. It's a privilege, but it's a discipline. It's something that the Spirit at work in us to produce in us this faithfulness of just living constantly in dependence upon God. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, uh, well, we need to devote two hours in the morning for prayer. You need to get up at four o'clock and you need to spend two hours on your knees to pray. I'm talking about the fact that Paul says pray continually. It's kind of like a, a cough that doesn't go away. You know, we're just constantly coughing. We, we need to constantly be in the habit of prayer. It's a, we just respond when we recognize our need. We recognize a, a blessing of God when we see the needs of other people. Let, let's pray. Let's give thanks to God. Be in a habit of constantly going to the Lord in prayer for, for all types of people. Um, for our president, for our vice president, for our senators, congressmen, governors, for police, school board members, village leaders, etc., etc. We, we need to be people who approach the throne of God's grace on behalf of, of people uh, who are God's servants and will give an account to God for how they rule and how they exercise their responsibilities are they righteous or are they unrighteous? And so in love, uh, and because of our concern for the glory of God, we need to be people who pray. Will you make prayer a priority? But secondly, will you make the gospel message a priority? Um, if, if you are a Christian here this morning, you have what the world needs. Um, Jesus Christ is God's solution to a troubled world. Um, and there are many ways for us to be involved in our communities, even involved in, in government. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against finding meaningful ways to be involved. But I'm, what I'm saying is that as believers and as the church, what is distinct about us, what we have that no one else has, is the good news of Jesus that can liberate people from sin and the evil one and set them free, and it, and it has the power to produce in them good fruit for the good of others and for the glory of his name. We, we must make the gospel a priority. Believe in our own hearts that what this world needs more than anything else for the problems that they face is to hear about Jesus and to know the work that Jesus did to redeem a people for the praise of God's name. Make prayer a priority. Make the gospel a priority. Let's pray together. Father,
humbling to think about the way that you work. I even uh, think this morning about uh, my grandmother and how often she prayed for me. I think about the cards that she sent me. Uh, I think about even those years in college when I was just willfully going my own way, how she spoke the truth into my life and pointed me to Jesus. And I'm thankful for her faithful ministry in my life and how you work through her. Uh, she prayed for me as she ministered the gospel to me. Uh, Father, I'm thankful that you certainly ordain who will be saved, but you also ordain the means by which people are saved. That's through your gospel. And you've commissioned us and sent us as the church into this world. You've sent us into the darkness to let the light of Jesus shine. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, stir our hearts uh, to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in making Jesus known. And we pray that you would work powerfully um, in the lives of those in high positions, those in low positions, I pray that you would work powerfully even through us as we pray and as we speak and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for the joy of all people and for the glory of your name. Help us, help us to be undistracted from that responsibility and that privilege. Help us to be faithful, I pray. In the name of your Son.